Hi, friends. Sarah here with a brief disclaimer. You are listening to a podcast about making space for other people as well as for yourself, which may mean that you're going to hear language and ideas and thoughts, not just about life, but about faith that are different than your own. My hope is that you will listen to this podcast with an attitude of space making, being able to hear things that are different from what you may interpret the world to be. It also may be different than how the hosts feel about the world. But again, we are working together to make a little bit more space for each other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Good morning. Morning, morning, morning. Welcome to the Making Spaces podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah Heath, and this is... The other co-host, Josie Jimenez. And we both just woke up. Yes, yes, yes. Um, which is weird for me because I'm actually on the central time zone. Well, I'm not on the central time zone. I'm in the central time zone. But I stayed out late last night and then woke up and then went back to sleep because Friday is my day off. And it's 11 a.m. Your it time, is. right? Mm-hmm. Damn, girl. I thought you know I me? was waking up late. <laughs> you know me. I always get up so early, too. So, yeah, I popped a Benadryl last night because I haven't been sleeping so well. Mm. and i slept pretty well hooray <laughs> finally how are you doing how after sleeping are you feeling much better yes yesterday was a rough day i feel much better good good uh how are you other than it was a rough day um i'm good i always do better in the mornings my uh, body starts to give out towards the evenings so mornings are great <laughs> I have so much energy. Nice. Nice. Um, uh, it's been a really weird week. Um, we definitely have some things to talk about. The Pope came out with a pretty nasty anti-LGBTQIA statement, um, mostly about marriage. Uh, we have had multiple attacks and murder of uh, Asian American friends. And oh my goodness, it is just... It has been a week, hasn't it? And I've been out of town, but working. So that's been interesting. Um, we've got a new pastor coming. So there's just a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I obviously have a lot of thoughts and things to say. Well, go ahead. Know. Get going. Uh, first of all, I'll listen to the Catholic Church when they do adequate research and reevaluation of their pedophilia. All right, Pope. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> don't fucking come at us <laughs> <laughs> okay okay uh talk about sin am i right uh <laughs> yeah they cannot bless sin but they can employ it that's fine um yeah as for the asian attacks i'm gonna go ahead and blame the church you know <laughs> i think that's fair to say homeboys dad was a pastor yeah he was all about the lord and Apparently, the Lord told him to go murder people, you know, break one of the Ten Commandments because he couldn't keep his peepee in its place, in his pants. Yeah, it's really interesting. It'll be interesting to see how much people are willing to uh, think about purity culture as part of, um, yeah, the stuff that kind of gets all of this going. Um, because not all, the, obviously, all Asian American hate that has been spreading, um, but uh, this guy claims that he was sexually addicted and that was why he had to end the, the dens of sin kind of thing. It's just terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. The dens of sin that he was a regular at, whatever. 
purity culture, self-hatred. There's so much stuff to be uh, kind of parsed out of all of that. Yes. So um, all that to say, friends, if you think you're suffering from sexual addiction, you are not. Go talk to therapists. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Therapy. Everyone should. Everyone should be doing that like regularly. Mm-hmm. Go do it right now. Listen to this podcast and then call your therapist. Yes, please. Yeah. Please. Please. Um, we are excited about the new pastor coming. It's interesting. It's a boy. And that's been really hard for a lot of people who um, our leadership team are the only people who know because unfortunately, by the time this comes out, it'll be public. But um, Matt's church doesn't know yet that he's coming. Um, but it has been kind of a cute reaction is people going, it's a boy. <laughs> what? Yeah. People being a little bit nervous about that, but I think it's going to be great. He's a great fit. So that's exciting for our community. I didn't realize I was going to have so much grief and have such a hard time with it. I did. <laughs> you knew that I would have grief and have such a hard time with it. Great. We're homies, dude. Yeah, that's true. I get upset about things. Um, all right. <laughs> Why don't we jump into this podcast since I'm feeling like I'm dragging. We are excited to um, introduce to some of you who may not know her, uh, a dear friend of mine, one of my best friends from grad school, Miss Halima Nash, who is literally the most talented person I know from being able to create her own businesses to being a choreographer to um, now mentoring. It's an incredible. So she has an organization that she has started called Rosecrans. And Rosecrans Made is uh, a, a group that helps um, people of color find internships, students of color find internships um, in all sorts of different fields so that they're able to get a leg up. Because we know, we know that once mm-hmm. you um, get an internship, you're an, more likely to be able to get a job in your desired field. Yes, and internships are not always available to those of us who grew up in low income situations because, you know, we need money. We need a job, you know? Right. So it's opened up all kinds of different positions for Mm -hmm. people. Um, Even the name, I'm excited for people to hear the story of why that name. Um, It was just such a beautiful conversation. And, you know, she's one of my best friends. And I can honestly say she inspires me, even though she's one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm excited for all of you to hear Halima Nash and incredibly, um, like I said, she really is one of the most talented people I know and just has like, a heart for people in a way that um, she's not going to let anyone kind of be left behind. So she is um, just a great person to have a conversation with. So with no further ado, um, we introduce you, Halima. I've always included some kind of employment or entrepreneurial opportunity. I've always mm-hmm. created some project where, you know, now it was called Chicago MVPs at, you know, the Chicago Bulls. And at the Housing Authority, we launched a summer jobs initiative and we created a internship where young people could shadow uh, entrepreneurs over the summer as an executive director. It's just always this idea of, I can affirm your identity by saying your black skin is beautiful. Your immigration status is beautiful. Your queer identity is powerful and beautiful but it's a whole other thing to affirm that with an opportunity and with economic economic opportunities so like 
yes, your blackness is beautiful. And I'm going to give you a summer internship where you get to shadow a black entrepreneur that's doing what you one day hope to do. And that was something that was very life-giving to me. Uh, because I saw it spark light bulbs in these young people that did not, that no longer had to have this traditional, very white patriarchal way of thinking of leadership and entrepreneurship. But their first entry into the workforce with, were with people that look like them. Here we go. Hi friends, welcome to the Making Spaces podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sarah Heath, and this is... Josie Jimenez, the other co-host. That's true. And today uh, we have a very special guest and I'm very excited because this is one of my best friends in the entire world. Miss um, Halima Nash, uh, who has done so much in her career and lately has been making space for people with an incredible, um, I would call it a company right now, or like an empire, I don't know, Rosecrans Made, uh, which is an organization that helps um, people find internships and also find um, placements for the work that they do. And she's gonna talk more about mentoring and what that's meant to her. But this is just a space maker. This is the person who, um, you know, gets you to audition for a dance team without giving you too many details, because literally if she wanted to, she could start a cult because she is so fun and easy to be around. Also, maybe the university she went to, Howard, was a cult. I'm not sure because I've never met people so excited about their school. Um, and so <laughs> we have been friends for, I don't even want to talk about how long that now. Okay, Howard. Yep, always. And Lakers. Um, we've been friends for so, so long. We have journeyed together. Our uh, family, my family considers her family. So it is such a joy to have her on here. So Halima. Uh, my question for you is where is one of your favorite spaces and why? Oh, first of all, hello. Hello. Host and co-host. Uh, thank you so much for having me today. My favorite space uh, is the beach in Mexico. Um, and I, you know, I try yes. to take my way to Mexico as much as I can. Yo estoy aprendiendo español. Um, and I... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so obsessed. Um, I, 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 the reason why I, I call it my favorite place is because I have had more moments of revelation, of rest, of zen, of sort of self care on beaches in Mexico. I have spent holidays in Mexico. I have, I went that my sabbatical trip was in Mexico. And it was when I, I heard probably one of the most powerful sermons that penetrated where I was in the most powerful ways right there on the beach in Mexico. You know, like the Pacific Ocean is like the largest body of water. And so to be in a place that is so absolutely beautiful within range of where I live, I don't have to be on a flight for like 10 hours. I, you know, I'm on a flight for two hours and I'm, I'm there in Mexico um, with my favorite food, tacos and uh, my favorite body of water, Pacific Ocean, and just the sand and the reminder that, um, you know, God is so big and often the problems that we make huge and the moments that feel overwhelming are so small in the grand scheme of things. That's always just the feelings that I get when I'm in Mexico. I love that because you've traveled all over the world. I mean, I remember one time I was coming to your house and you were like, yeah, that I'm going to, um, 
Paris tomorrow, like just by myself. And that confused me. I was like, that is incredible that you would just be like, I'm just going to travel. I want to go. I'm not going to wait for someone to go with me. I am going. And you are such an adventurer, which is incredible. But the place that you love is Mexico. It's true. I love all of the photos, all the beach moments. I'm not jealous. It's great. Um, <laughs> and I think it's important to talk a little bit about just something that we'll get into all that you've done uh, because that is incredible, but you've also set up time for self-care, which wasn't always a part of a, the rhythm of your life. Um, many of us have gotten frustrated with you because you need to take care of yourself more. Um, you are a people caregiver and sometimes haven't let that happen for yourself. So what made you do what you called the black girl sabbatical? How did that uh, get going? Cause it was so inspiring and maybe one of the most beautiful photo moments just in your backyard, having tea parties and things like that. What made you do that? So the sabbatical was also presented to me by a friend of mine who had a similar acknowledgement that you just had, like Kalima, just, I wish you had more time for yourself. And in my, you know, black woman vibes, we don't rest. We don't, you know, like we work, we lead, we power things, we are change makers, we are disruptors, and often we are all go. It is sort of how we're wired. So the idea of rest is countercultural, um, and one that I have really enjoyed seeing so many um, Black-led organizations, uh, like really sort of capturing this message of Black women and rest, like Om Noir and the Nap Ministry and Sweet Rest, which is an organization that was founded by a white woman that is all about giving Black women rest through sabbaticals. Um, and uh, Sweet Rest and the person that founded it, Caitlin, uh, was like, you know, well, what, if, what if you took a sabbatical and then just did Rosecrans full time? And I'm like, what are you talking about? In what world is that a thing? I got a mortgage. I got insurance. I got bills. I am single and fully independent. Um, I have no safety net. That's not a thing. And we kept, I mean, that was a bug that she put in my ear a while before. And of course I thought that like sabbaticals is something white people do. I didn't think that it was like, <laughs> like something that you see people of color actually taking a sabbatical if they're not a writer writing a book and they're tenured at a university, right? So um, it was strange to me. Um, and it was exciting because as it turned out, I was struggling with the idea of like, well, what if I did take a sabbatical? What if I took some time off, which I've never done. I've never no. had more than two weeks in between jobs. I was I've just gonna never, say, I've never known you to have one job. I mean, from the exactly. time exactly we've known each other, it's like, you would go do something. I was like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing laundry for this person. I'm running this, per like all these different jobs because that is how you got by. Yes. I mean, long, I had a laundry service while in grad school. I had a car service while in grad school. Uber was at my crib, out my dorm way before Uber existed. Um, I've always had a full-time job and a side hustle. It was always uh, how I sustained my living. An important thing to say is you weren't just in. So Halima and I both went to um, Duke for Divinity School. And then Halima was at North Carolina State, right? That's where? North Carolina Central. Central, sorry, where um, she got non a nonprofit management degree because she didn't have enough on her plate and needed to go get another master's while you were <laughs> choreographing our dance team, running our dance team. Uh, and I just thought like, yeah, do you sleep? 
yes, I've seen you do it, but like you always, and the thing I think that you're speaking to that I, I think a lot of people are hopefully learning in this last year is this, um, thing we've put particularly on women of color that like, oh, it's almost like a, a fetishizing of the hustle, right? Um, y'all can get it done and, oh, look at, you know, but then it, what happens is when you are, you start to uh, believe that about yourself. Like, what is my value if I'm not hustling? What is my, like, uh, what is my value if I'm not creating or putting something out into the world? And I think white women, we can understand to an extent, those of us who are single, not married, like the running around making everything happen, but it's a different kind of um, fetishment where people are like, oh, you're a person of color. Um, you can do it. Yeah, Josie, do you experience that? I would feel like people all the time just expect you to hustle. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> yes, as <laughs> I think we in the immigrant and first generation Latin community have a very similar like you have to do everything you have to do all that you can do to succeed and then a little bit more because we don't have privileges we don't have generational wealth we are the beginning and the start of that so we have to you know fight against systems and not having privileges uh yeah I even with my own family as soon as I became a photographer it was um oh Josie can take our pretty pictures and we don't have to pay her because that's just that's easy right or my mom, now that she realizes uh, what I do for a job, she's like, oh, well, I want to start a YouTube channel. So you're going to you're going to do all the video editing and lighting and marketing and everything for me. Right. And I was like, OK, mother, let's <laughs> go ahead and do that. And I mean, I also have um, my therapist calls me a workaholic. I have a full time job and multiple side hustles, hobbies, passion projects, whatever you call it. Because I did also fall into that trap of like, I have to do it all. I have to succeed. I have to do everything I possibly can in order to, you know, make it, quote unquote. Now, here's my question for it's you. very common. Helena, because I have watched you like do all kinds of things from when we got out of uh, grad school, you were working for a basketball team as their nonprofit manager. Some people have maybe heard of it called the Chicago Bulls. She doesn't sport, so I have to explain it to her, which by the way, you working for the Bulls made me giggle because your Lakers love nearly got me evicted because you and I yelled so much at them <laughs> at the TV. But um, they, you know, you did that in Chicago, which it feels like everything has been moving towards Rosecrans. Um, so you want to talk a little bit about how you ended up creating this thing that has made space for people that can't make space for themselves. Like, do you mind just sort of giving a little bit of a back history of how kind of all the pieces that you've done is fun as your friend to see them all come together into one thing, but you weren't planning on doing that full time, which is interesting. So if you, and we'll ask questions along the way, if you are like, this is a really long and big question, but can you yeah. explain kind of how you got here? No, I'll make, I'll make it short. I'll give it You don't have to. Yeah. You got time. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I, I was studying theology and nonprofit management, which was sort of a dual connection between Duke and North Carolina Central, um, a Black college, you know, a stone's throw from where the campus was. But um, it started there in me thinking about how do I take my interest in, in having a purpose path? and what I get excited about, sports, entertainment, you know, community engagement, like what, what makes you excited? Oh yeah, I forgot one more thing. She was a rapper when we were in college, like literally uh, Compton Virtue. We had mixtapes. It's so good. I've still got those mixtapes. <laughs> oh, 
so embarrassing. Um, but yeah, I've, I've lived the hustle, my goodness. So um, after Duke, I dived into sports philanthropy, was working for the Chicago Bulls, managing their off the court sort of impact opportunities, went on to work with the Chicago Housing Authority, supporting young people that live in public housing, get access to internships and college scholarships and services. And then I moved on to be an executive director of two different organizations, one after the other being sort of community impact youth pastored for uh, a few years sort of in between those. Um, and then it, it, the, the last full-time job uh, was focused on workforce development, you know, where I was securing employment opportunities for underrepresented talent, young people of color. But every single job that I have had post grad school, there was some, even the project that I was doing at Walltown when I was in graduate school. Oh gosh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was also working. That was one of my <laughs> many jobs working at Walltown <laughs> Neighborhood Ministries doing community support for young people. Um, I, I've always included some kind of employment or entrepreneurial opportunity. I've always mm-hmm. created some project where, you know, now it was called Chicago MVPs at, you know, the Chicago Bulls. And at the Housing Authority, we launched a summer jobs initiative and we created a internship where young people could shadow uh, entrepreneurs over the summer as an executive director. It's just always this idea of, I can affirm your identity by saying your black skin is beautiful. Your immigration status is beautiful. Your queer identity is powerful and beautiful but it's a whole other thing to affirm that with an opportunity and with economic economic opportunities so like yes your blackness is beautiful and I'm going to give you a summer internship where you get to shadow a black entrepreneur that's doing what you one day hope to do and that was something that was very life-giving to me Uh, Because I saw it spark light bulbs in these young people that did not, that no longer had to have this traditional, very white patriarchal way of thinking of leadership and entrepreneurship, but their first entry into the workforce with were with people that look like them so they could speak Spanish over the summer um, with their manager who is a native Spanish speaker and you know I had a, a young person I remember asking him wow you have this entre- this architecture internship and you're interested in architecture like how was it what was the best thing about it and he said I could speak Spanish with my manager I and could I just thought, I could be me wow. in this space the fact that you could speak because he he talked about having a summer job and not being sure if you could speak Spanish like to your colleagues and like how that would land because if people don't speak Spanish or they think that you're trying to do things secretively. I mean, it's just very interesting that that one thing can be so powerful. The idea of representation being the most powerful thing that that young person took away. I was like, oh yeah, I want to do this. Like, this is what I want to do. Like this is, and it, it takes the network that I built going to Howard University, the network that I built working in in impact while at Duke, working in professional sports with professional athletes, folks that have a high net worth, all of those networks for the 17 years that I've been at it, I am using to employ young black and brown people um, at Rosecrans Ventures, coaching and securing opportunities. So it does feel like this sort of pinnacle moment where now I'm like, wow, I can use, I can reach out 
to the person who I was in grad school with at Duke because I have this person that's interested in this industry. And so I'm using my LinkedIn network. I'm using my social media network um, all to now for the first time asking people for things and I'm asking people for access to their spaces for my young people. And what they what they wish they had had. Absolutely. Because I think okay. so much... Um, I'm reminded I had a meeting the other day with um, someone who's a little bit younger than us who graduated from uh, Duke Divinity with his, um, actually he got a doctorate, but, um, and he was talking about someone he had had a conversation with and it was Lisa Yaboa, someone that you and I both knew. And now to hear that like space is making space for the people behind, and like, I just keep thinking like, it's the thing, oftentimes you've created the thing that you had a, a taste of because one of the powerful parts of your story is that you were, you know, I remember listening to your TED talk and um, after, I've, by the way, this is how you know I'm the worst friend. My friend does a TED talk and I watch it three times and I text her, not this is so powerful. I say, can I borrow those shoes? And then I was like, but also this is really good. <laughs> Which is like, I realized later, I was like, your friend does a TED talk and your first text is about her shoes. <laughs> anyway. Um, Bond over shoes. It's fine. It's, a it's fine. It's fine. Um, I was so struck by how it took one person giving you a chance and one person seeing something in you. Uh, and then it made you want to mentor and be mentored, like continue that on. Um, is your hope, as I look at you sowing, I'll call these sowing the seeds, just to speak Christian language, um, sowing the seeds of like, okay, so now you're going to go out and mentor someone else as you create. Is that sort of, is it that process? Or are you just like loving, and you're back home. How cool is that? Oh, it's cool. It's expensive, but it's cool. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, yes, it is. And I, I mentioned this in the TED talk. It's, it's, an opportunity to be in service to the younger me. You know, mm. Every day, I am serving young Lily, who was in a, who was in middle school, without a lot of examples, but really amazing friends and friends whose parents took me in and mentored me and supported me. Like I am always serving that person in this effort uh, because I believe you know it, and it's it's strength based I'm not thinking about the things that I didn't have necessarily mm. I'm thinking about the things that I did like the fact that I just had grit naturally I had hustle naturally like I was entrepreneurial I could lead naturally like I could tap into my culture like as a choreographer as a rapper as an entrepreneur of all the things that I've been all of that came from what I learned in the mud you know, like that came from what I learned, like growing up where I grew up, where we're just ultra ridiculously talented and find ways to channel those talents and think about some of the things that I lacked and providing those for people that I'm serving that look like young Lily, like at Lotus Park, like, you know, just trying to figure it out. You know, can I be a bridge? Can I be a bomb? Can I be um, a mentor? Can I be a voice that makes a light bulb go off? Those are the things that I think about when I'm trying to power this work and also trying to get companies to pay these invoices and uh, <laughs> you know, value what the work is, which is a, another thing. Yeah, I can only imagine. And I love it because I that is not my favorite part. And I always try to like channel my inner 
like there's you and a couple other friends I have who are like, yeah, you need to get paid for this work because Josie brought up something earlier. It's not just um, people of color, but it's also being a woman. Sometimes it's hard to be like, hey, can you also though then pay me for this work? Mm-hmm. Um, something you said is hitting me really mm-hmm. hard, which is this idea of, mm-hmm, of uh, I'm strength-based. I look at what did I do and then how, how can I replicate that, but also find the strength in other people? Like, what is the thing, you know, um, when you find your students or those who are you, are they all in college? Most of them are in college. Um, there's a lot of them. I get them junior year in high school though. But okay. Mass right now are college students. And how do you find them? So some of it is word of mouth. Some of it is some of the students that I served while in public housing, um, while in some of these organizations uh, will reach out to me and they just happen to be the president of the Black Student Alliance on their campus. And then the Black Student Alliance, you know, comes and I do coaching and group professional development. So a lot of it is word of mouth. Um, and then a lot of it is like young people that I've served reaching out to their peers and their friends and their siblings and stuff like that. And for those who do not live in um, California or know California, where is Rosecrans? Rosecrans um, goes through South. Um, I mean, I guess I could call it the South Bay. Um, it is this artery. Um, and I call it an artery because it like is a street that goes through Compton. You know, you're going to it's going to go through Gardena, through Manhattan Beach. Like there's all of these spaces that Rosecrans actually goes through. But for me growing up, I didn't know nothing about Manhattan Beach or any of those other places. <laughs> I the Rosecrans was where my elementary school, where Mayo Elementary School was off of, um, Whaley Middle School, where I went to middle school. Um, I, I traveled through Rosecrans to get to McDonald's, where one of my first <laughs> jobs was, you know, like, so it was this place that I had to navigate one block after next. Like, it's also a street where vice flows, right? It's also corner boys that work off Rosecrans. But I had to learn how to navigate travel from one place to the next. I had to navigate the local roads in order to get to that big, bold highway that takes you to wherever your future is. And so um, that's why I named the company Rosecrans. Um, and just so you know, uh, Josie over here. Josie, where are you from? I'm from Southgate. I'm sure you know where that is. <laughs> I'm from the um, other side of Rosecrans. <laughs> I love Southgate. We I was just thinking. Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah, Southgate's wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Southgate is that town where my parents lived by Hollydale Park when I was growing up first. And then they moved over a couple blocks to the street right across from Downey so that we still lived in Southgate and paid Southgate prices. But they didn't want me going to Paramount High School. They wanted me to go to Warren High School in Downey. Okay, it was yeah. really funny how that yeah. works out. Southgate, Downey, Whittier, all of those areas. It's been like minimal mm-hmm. time over there, but I know it well. It, it's funny because yeah, from Downey's LA bougie. know it. Yeah, Downey's bougie. Downey's yeah. bougie. It is. <laughs> I think it's interesting because we are defined right by the places that we come from in some ways and then where we go from there. So this idea of a road like and learning how to navigate that and then the people that taught us how to navigate these roads. I actually think about... When I moved to California, um, Halim and I have a friend named Precious, and um, I, my, really my, <laughs> this is going to sound sad. My only friends were Halima and Precious. So I started my like first day in Irvine, which is like not, 
Yeah, it, it was, it's a very wealthy area. It's predominantly white, uh, Asian and Persian. And um, I, I'd never, I, I'm again, I'm not from California. So I got this job and you guys rode the train down to see me and you were like, this is Irvine. You'd never <laughs> seen it before. And I was like, but it's only like 40 minutes from where you grew up. And I remember Brad just being like, it's another world <laughs> from where, where we just came from. And I think that's the thing is if we don't know where we're from, we don't know kind of where we're going. And it's not about abandoning. I mean, I think about how everything has brought you back home, but you had to do all that you did Mm -hmm. to get back to Rosecrans. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Kendrick Lamar talks about that um, in a song called Home. Uh, Mama, actually. Um, And, you know, where where he talks about all the things that I know, like I know street shit, you know, like I know (laughs) advertisers and sponsors. Like I know, I know all of these things, but I didn't know anything until I came back home Mm. and this idea of this full circle moment that like life can take you to all of these places and these beautiful opportunities and and when you come back to the place where it all started there is much more revelation about what those things and places meant um, and how they inform what you can do um, in your original earth and that's kind of how I feel right now. It's, it's Los Angeles is far different than the place that I left it. I left it 18. So I'm 18 years old. You living with your parents or hopping around or whatever, whatever you're doing. But when you come back to live somewhere as an adult, it's a much different place. You know, how you travel, how you engage, like, you know, sort of doing things as an adult versus getting on the bus and going to the mall with your friends and coming home at your curfew or whatever the existence is. And so now there is all of this relearning that I'm doing and there's all this reflection like, wow, I remember being in Italy, having a conversation with a woman about Compton and, you know, like her perception of what Compton was because they just know about NWA, didn't even know who Serena Williams was. So there was no, there was nothing outside (laughs) straight out of Compton, right? And having this conversation about the perception of Italians in the US and the perception of Compton in a place like Italy and just thinking, man, like the times that I've traveled internationally, like traveling solo by myself, knowing how to navigate, knowing how to get to the throughways, knowing how to tell when somebody's trying to finesse me, right? Like knowing <laughs> if if somebody is like, you know, somebody that you don't necessarily want to want to vibe with, like all, all of those things that I learned at home that I didn't realize how valuable they were in being able to navigate these large spaces until I came back here. Um, and now I'm reminded of so many of those things, especially in a quarantine where you have so much thinking time, you have all the thinking time. Um, and I'm, I am so grateful that the journey, and however long I stay here, who knows, um, however long I'm here, the fact that I could come back here, become, you know, I left here as the first in family to graduate college and I come back here as the first in family to own a home in California. Um, And so where the journey has taken me and the ability to build anchors here um, and serve young people here and being able to have the city of Compton as a client um, of mine and like serve my city as an entrepreneur. It's just, there's so many full circle moments. I'm like on a podcast with Sarah, (laughs) 
you know, we met in 2002 and navigated the crazy place that is Duke University. I'm a Tar Heel fan, but um, that is Duke University and be able to be in the spaces that we're in right now to have this conversation. It's just everything is full circle where I am now. It's crazy because I think about, so for both of us, uh, Duke, I feel I like it a little bit more than uh, she does. It would, but it was not home for either of us when we got there. We were a bit of the outsiders, definitely a little bit. I mean, we were the outsiders, and I think we just sort of found this way to negotiate a space that didn't feel like home. And we didn't. I for me, I hadn't studied any of that, so for me, it was a whole new language to learn. Um, originally. Uh, a lot of our classmates weren't people that I would have necessarily, how do I say this, wanted to be around. And I'm not sure they would have chosen me to be around. Um, and so it just was a lot of late nights on each other's floors. Like, what the hell are we doing here? What? Why are we here? Why did we choose this? <laughs> yeah, one of my roommates actually said to Halima, <laughs> you're my first Black friend. And you looked at me like... <laughs> Because it was late at night and she was trying to be like, have a woke experience. But you and I were like, oh, what are you, what is, get out of here. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> like, oh my God. Thank but you I for think, sharing, but bye. Bye. <laughs> I think there was, this, <laughs> there was this great experience of like, we don't fit in. So we're going to make yeah. home. And, and then people became home, like you and Precious and like, Ashley and like these people who are just became home who weren't they didn't feel like they fit in and I feel like that's kind of what your work even is now it's like okay I'm gonna look at these spaces and places that were made for certain people and it's not us and so then how do I once someone figures out a little bit how to make it their space how do I then help them bring other people up and the cool thing is is I remember when you moved to Chicago my parents tell this story because it's like they're one of their favorite because Halima again poor thing got adopted. Poor Josie got adopted into the family last night. So she's now, <laughs> but, um, we were at a Mexican restaurant. You had just bought a pair of boots cause you were moving to Chicago and you're like, I need winter boots. And my mom was like, Oh, I want to see your winter boots. And they were like, high heel <laughs> and so cute. And my mom goes, Oh no, <laughs> Chicago is. And like a month later you call me and you're like, why do people live here? Why that you didn't find your car? Amen. <laughs> and, but it was all part of this like weird thing where you were learning even how to navigate winter how to navigate and now those people are your contacts the people that you're now able to help folks from your home and I think it's such an encouraging piece of when you're sitting in the in the winter of whatever it might be and you're like why the hell am I doing this like I remember if you read my journal from our first couple of months in grad school in 2002 um, I just, I didn't want to be there. And I, I was like, why, why does God have me here? I don't fit in. And now my favorite people in the world are from that time. Yeah. It's like, we had to like go through all of that to become people that we are. And I think so often when we're in that, like quarantined moment of like, this is the worst, this winter sucks. We don't, we need to look around and see what we see. And that's what you guys actually taught me a lot of like, all right, what's good about this? We had a, we have a friend, Mike, who used to say, um, like if something bad happened, he'd be like, look at the devil. <laughs> like if his computer didn't turn on, this Still is, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still does. Look at the devil. Look what the devil has done. And if something good would happen, he'd always be like, well, bless the Lord. Look what the Lord has done <laughs> all the time. Oh, which me bride. Mm-hmm. Mike ride. Which is like, but actually for me, right? Like to actually pause and be like, oh, look how great that is when I didn't have that as a natural inclination. So I yeah. think there's like that giftedness of, of struggle, right? Yeah, they're lilies in the valley, right? You know, like, that grow in dark places, um, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think that, I mean, a lot of people love Duke, but it was a dark place for some people. Some people experience um, in that space. And I mean, you know, you start to figure out how to navigate, how to graduate, how to get through it, how to build relationships. And, you know, how do we make sense of our lived experience? The good and the bad, the dark and the light. Um, how do you make sense of the hard stuff? Um, and I, I think that that is also why Rosecrans is, is important to me because I've had such a hard time being other. Um, mm-hmm. I've had such a difficult journey in being the only whatever in the world, the only woman, the only black person, the only person that's first gen, the only, I mean, I've had so many other and only experiences that have been painful, um, mostly mentally because right. of the narrative that you play in your mind about whether you deserve to be there, um, about whether or not uh, you, you can thrive there. Mm-hmm. Um, on like, why, why, why do I have to be the only one? Like all of the, the narratives that are often toxic and take you out of the space that God yes. has created you to be in. And because I have been other and it has been the pain of my journey, I've turned it into the purpose of my journey to make sense of it. Um, and to make sure that young people that are navigating the same thing, that they don't wallow in the pain of the valley, but they can see the lilies in the valley. Yeah, I, the other experience, um, I think it was so hard to watch somebody you love go through what you went through. Some of the things, the little things, the microaggressions, getting pulled over. Um, We, I remember shopping one time and you were like, they're going to follow us around the store. And I was like, what? And, and I feel like it's opened me up and I hate that, um, I hate that, that it's like, oh, a friendship is a thing that, but it, it's true watching what you had to go through and not even being aware until you see it, somebody that you love, a relationship where you care. And I'm like, what, what do you mean you were pulled over? Your brother got pulled over coming onto campus one time and asked if he belonged there. And I, ID, they pull guns out on us. <sighs> I remember that distinctively. Could have been that day. the way that we mourn black men that are gunned down by police officers. I always think about that moment Me when too. that man pulled his gun out and said that we were making threatening gestures with our hands um, and that we better stop and you know show the wallet, put the wallet out, you know, on the ground so we can show our IDs. And you know, it it as painful as that experience is having to talk about it and having to have dialogue about it on that campus was also very difficult um, because there was, you know, then there's the white explaining of what that experience actually is. And then having so many friends that 
can't necessarily connect to that experience. They just feel bad about it, um, you know, and being in a place where it's hard for people to empathize with your experience is another level of otherness that is hard. Um, but again, you know, praise God, we survived uh, that night. Um, and I talk about it all the time when I talk about the Duke experience, because I do want people to know that you see sort of a, a beautiful campus and you see a flashy situation, but there are people that experience being other on those campuses. And how do you serve those people excellently, the same way that you do the people whose parents donate a million dollars a year to Duke University's endowment. Um, and if, if that responsibility is too much for you, there is Rosecrans that can help young people navigate that. Right, These right. systems are not changing, right? Yeah. You know, which I'm not confident in their ability to. Yeah, um, I, I there's a lot of companies that are trying and a lot of higher ed institutions that are trying, but, you know, I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was also that moment too of like, because, you know, we didn't have language for that, right? It was just anger and, but I don't think I've ever doubted stories. And I don't know that before that, I think I might've been one of those people's like, well, I wonder what they did to like, but no, no longer do I, I wonder what they did. Now I grew up with parents that taught us empathy and all that sort of stuff, like pay attention. But I think it's, it's a horrible thing to, to have to, um, be the one to hold on to that for people. Like, yes, these stories are true because let me tell you what happened to me on a prestige, whatever it might be. But again, those are the stories that have helped people learn how to ally and learn how to believe and learn how to, tr and not allow, um, you know, the idea that as long as you play by the rules, everything works out. No, incorrect. <laughs> Another unfortunate thing, because then we have to experience these atrocities as people of color. And then we have to teach white people how to engage them. Like we have to become mm -hmm. professors in the experience. <laughs> we have to, you know, be the diversity, equity, and inclusion people that are helping people understand. And that also sucks because books are available. Google yep. is live. Right? <laughs> Why people got to get in the business of learning on their own <laughs> and you know it we we can't always be in the seat of professorship so um and i mean it, it is a beautiful thing that there is an awakening that's happening with a lot of folks that happen through relationship and happen through exposure and conversations but uh i'm just not trying to be the casualty of that um no. often um often we are that that contributes to the exhaustion of like just trying to figure out how to you know be black and thrive in this country that uh has been built on annihilating that opportunity so every day it is an exercise in living my truth in speaking my truth in having quality relationships where i can be my full self and helping young people that are the future and are the next generation know how to navigate that um, know how to navigate those conversations because that was that was hard. Like I, I you know, I went to a black college and I grew up <laughs> in Compton. So I didn't have to have some of the conversations that I had to have once I got to Duke. And I'm grateful for it. Um, I'm very grateful for it because I still have friendships with folks that I had very hard, courageous conversations with. 
um, that are now in spaces where their leadership is informed by some of those courageous conversations. So I'm, I'm grateful for it because it takes that. We live in silos and you come in Mississippi. So that's a whole other. <laughs> I came from Canada and moved to Mississippi. I mean, talk about cultural, what the hell? <laughs> So we are living in very separate spaces where we aren't always in the same place having these conversations. Um, and they are necessary so that when we're in our silos, we still embrace the existence of other humans that don't live in that silo. Mm -hmm. And these students, these people, they're getting to experience um, their fullness represented, seeing it in a way that didn't doesn't require them to have to uh, change who they are or where they can see themselves not having to pass in, in certain spaces, but instead bring, like you said, a strength space thing instead of like, all right, I gotta, um, I almost want to use the word like police my behavior this way. I need to talk a certain way in this way I need to, or what if I'm just me and I show up and bring who God has made me to be all my experiences. And I learn from people who have been able to use those to navigate a system and hopefully change the system. Um, Absolutely. but not, not have to always be the heavy lifter. I mean, I think that's, <laughs> that's been such a gift is to be able to just say to you, yeah, I'm not asking you to be my black friend in this moment. <laughs> Thank you. This is my black friend. <laughs> um, Halima, uh, I have just loved chatting with you because I love chatting with you. Um, but we have, uh, kind of a question that we asked to close out that we love for people to just take any way they want to take, which is like, if there's like one thing that someone can do, a tangible thing um, that somebody can do to make space for other people, what would you say that is? Or themselves, it can be for themselves. I mean, I'm telling you the black girl sabbatical, I'm gonna make you look at all those photos, Josie, because you will just love the aesthetic alone of her just suggesting mm -hmm. other people that they rest. Um, if you were gonna say there's something that someone can do for themselves or others just to make space in a tangible way, what would you say it is? Um, I, I would say, you know, be a listener, you know, figure out ways to actually listen, listen to experience. You know, I am like trying to take an ax and break down doors in spaces where folks just do not, they're not hearing that 6% of internships went to young black students and you've never hired a black intern. So you might want to you know think about it you know it's like well you know there's no listening like you know there's also this i like sometimes we like hearing ourselves talk and we mm. are in conversations where we're not gaining anything from who we're talking to because we're not actively listening listening to experience listening to where people are because oh when you listen you can hear and if you can hear you can understand and if you can understand, you can empathize. And so that creates space for people. If I can empathize with your experience, if I can understand who you are, if I've listened to your journey and listened to your story, then there's then I kind of break down the walls that exist because of all of the labels that we put on ourselves, like single, married, Baptist, you know, Presbyterian, Republican, Democrat, you know, Southern city, we put all of these labels on ourselves that, that anchor those silos. And I think that our ability to really listen to one another and understand creates space. Mm, I love that. 
Josie, do you have any more questions? Speaking of being quiet, we've just both been drinking in everything you said. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Josie, any thoughts? I'm sorry. I didn't make space for you. I just got really excited to see one of my best friends and I'm like, Josie, I'm sorry. I mean, it happens. It happens. <laughs> no, I'd love, I empathize as a first generation Latinx woman. I empathize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a very common experience among all of us who are not white Americans, I guess. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. But such is life. I'm great. Onward and upward. Yeah. <laughs> Onward and upward. Um, Processiones es muy importante. Um, necesito mm -hmm. más uh, hermanas y amigas um, con uh, understanding. ¿Cómo se dice understanding en español? Entendimiento. Oh, I can't even do it. Entendimiento. Entendimiento. Understanding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Language switching is hard, guys. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, incredible. Just both of you, your stories. I'm so grateful that I get to be in relationship with both of you humans. Um, I'm grateful that we get to make space for each other and our conversations and each other's stories. Um, if we, people want to find you, where can they find you, Halima? Where can they find Rosecrans? Where? Follow tell us. us. At Rosecrans Made. At Rosecrans Made on Twitter, on Instagram, and also on TikTok. We are on LinkedIn. Our Rosecrans website is www.rosecransventures.com. Follow us. Reach out if you have internships available or even if you don't and are interested in creating space or developing the talent in your orbit. Reach out to World's Cream. I love it. Um, all right. Josie, where can people find us? And you, she always has to take a big breath because I make her say all of the things. Uh, well, you can find us primarily on makingspacespodcast.com. Everything is there if I forget anything. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at makingspacespodcast. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash makingspacespodcast. Uh, YouTube, you can search us, Making Spaces Podcast. Uh, you can find Sarah at Rev Sarah Heath on Instagram, and you can find me at Josie Takes the World on all the things, including Twitter if you want some fiery first takes it's good guys this has been <laughs> so great it's been wonderful to chat um join us next week where we will be saving a space for you bye, bye. Spacemakers, if you're like me, you like to have an accessory that stands out. So for me, I like a big, bold earring. And that's why I love the work of my co-host. She has an incredible handmade jewelry line made from recycled and repurposed leather. We are all about repurposing, friends. Her work you can find on Instagram at thejshop.thej. J, just the letter, J. You can also find her work at etsy.com slash shop slash shop the J. And when you check out, use code making space pod for 15% off your purchase. I'm telling you, these are my favorite earrings and they're such a statement piece and people will be definitely making space for you in these.